0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more
1: shows at soundtalentmedia.com. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm super stoked to bring this one to you today. My guest is Corey Wong from Wolfpack and the Wong Notes, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He was a great guy to talk to. We talk about the music industry and all kinds of different things on this episode. Um, it's really just kind of an all-over-the-place one. It was a lot of fun, though. I think you're really going to enjoy it. He's an infectious dude, and if you've never heard his music, go fix that, please. Listen to this episode, and then go fix that. I think you'll you'll be very glad you did. A couple little business things to wrap up, and we'll get into the episode. So, first of all, I'm almost to release my record. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'm Doing it under the name American Cyclops. You can follow on Instagram for weird clips, weird imagery, and other things associated with uh, this audio visual project, I'm calling it. Um, I'm really, really pumped. Everything came out really cool. It's really weird, very cinematic, very out there, and uh, yeah, we're just about to, we, we, is in me, the royal. We are just about to release the full thing, and it's going to be exclusively available on this podcast and more details on that to come. I'm really excited about that, and uh yeah, I'll fill you in on all those details. But if you want to follow American Cyclops, the album is called Tom, Do You Have Anything Sharp On You? So yeah, that'll become a little more apparent what that means when you listen to it. I'm really, really pumped, so hopefully you guys... You guys like weird music? Hopefully you like this too. and That'll be coming very, very soon. In fact, this week, the patrons of the podcast are getting a sneak preview of the whole thing. So, if you want to help support the show, help support all my weird little projects that I do, um, and you want to get a a sneak peek at the record, you can go to patreon.com slash tonemob, and for just five bucks a month, you will get additional audio content to your ears every week that generally includes extended interviews with that week's guest. So, a lot of fun over there, a ton of extra content and it helps keep the lights on quite literally. Additionally, if you'd like to support the show through your gear buying habits, you can do so by shopping at tonemob.com/sweetwater. You don't have to buy the recommended items I have that pop up when you go to that link, but you can shop through that link, and anything you do buy, doesn't matter what it is, a percentage of that comes back and helps support the show, and they have been an amazing partner, and very generous, and really incredible to work with. So, if you could go to ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater for your new gear buying needs, that would be amazing. But, they don't carry everything, and the fine folks at Reverb have also supported the show, and if you go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb at checkout for any of your reverb purchasing needs, a small portion of that will help come back and support the show as well. So thank you very much for everyone that has done that. And uh, it really, really helps out a lot. So anyway, let's get into this episode with Corey. This thing's awesome. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar, tone, and, you know, other things. If you've listened to it at this point, you probably know what I mean. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I'm so stoked to bring you a much-requested guest, Corey Wong. How's it going? What's up, Blake? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, a Great. lot of it has to do with I was just on a walk listening to your latest release. And it, every time I do listen to the, your, your Wong Notes stuff, I, I get so happy. It makes me so oh, happy. thanks, man. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it's a but fun project. It's so cool. It's it, I don't know. It's not like, you know, I'm kind of a weird, noisy punk guy, and it's not something I would think that I would search out. But as soon as I found it, I'm like, this makes my heart happy. I need it. <laughs> See, I was, a, I was a noisy punk ska kid. But
0: that's why I have the horns in the band.
1: Of course. And now it all makes sense. I loved
0: yeah. So I love the aggressive, fast picking. Not fast picking, that kind of implies like finger picking or like country stuff. I, I enjoyed the 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 fast, energetic music with the horns. Well, that could fit some types of ska, but it also exactly fits like what I do in a lot of funk music. So, you know, it's kind of all that blended up.
1: Maybe this would be a good place to start because I don't I know your music and I am familiar with all that. I'm familiar with your gear choices and all that stuff, but I don't know your backstory at all. So maybe that would be a good place to start. When did you start playing and how did that lead to this crazy career of yours? Sure. I'll give the quick
0: version, which is that I started when I was in seventh grade. I was a bass player obsessed with red hot chili peppers, Primus, Green Day, Blink 182 and eventually morphed into having to play the guitar because my friend that i wanted to start a band with only had a bass so i said screw it fine if you won't get a guitar i'll get a guitar and i th- I'm, i've been stuck playing guitar ever since
1: that's not usually how that works it's usually i know it's normally the
0: uh or drums. Yeah, i know i i wanted to play i wanted to be a bass player so anyways started playing guitar had a punk band had a ska band Then a punk band again. And when I got to college, I had a jam band, was into the jam thing, started playing a lot more jazz, fusion jazz, and then started playing more professionally just on a bunch of other people's albums uh, and as a producer for a lot of other people's albums. And then started touring with some artists in Nashville and like New York and LA, I guess, like the three main music hubs in the, in, the US, at least historically those three. Um and then I guess just started doing a lot more with Wolfpack and Fearless Flyers when that all started to take off and my own project. And now that's kind of my main stuff that I do. I still every once in a while, I kind of reserve three spots a year to produce other people's albums. I get a lot of people that ask me to produce for them mm-hmm. or they, you know, want to make albums kind of like mine or Wolfpex or something and or even something completely different i do a lot of pop stuff as well but they if it's like it's a pop thing but they want a little more like the muso take on it (laughs) they'll hire me to do that you know which is cool and uh so yeah i i reserve space to do a few other people's albums to produce and play on other people's albums every year but mostly focusing on I mean, Wolfpack and Fearless Flyers. Honestly, Wolfpack takes up maybe like thirty days out of the year for me. For I really mean, everybody in the band, yeah, that's kind of how we've decided to let that thing be what it is. Um, I mean, I'm 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 a worker bee, and I'd be happy if Wolfpack was was doing a couple hundred days, but not everybody has the same um, regeneration or like. Uh, respawn time after we get done (laughs) doing something you know like you like you know there's a reacclimation period that you need when after a tour or to get into tour you know and for me i've i've done it enough now for enough years where you know it, it takes me a day but for some people it's like all right i need to take a week and go to austin and like hang out and decompress whatever that's totally fine um but I I think also it's it's nice for us to have, and I'm not saying that's the, everybody in Wolfpack. I'm saying some people in other bands that I've been in or toured with, it's like they have to, you know, spend a week kind of coming down from tour. It's like, dude, we were only out for two weeks. <laughs> anyways, but, it you know, touring can be intense and it, it's different levels of intensity for different people involved in the touring. Um, anyways, Wolfpack takes up about 30 days out of the year and that's built into it's purposeful. It's intentional. So we can all do our other projects. Like every one of us has a solo project. And then we also have a side project of Wolfpack called fearless flyers, which is maybe 15 days out of the year for me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's great. Like normally it's a handful of days of writing that I'll do because I've produced the last couple things. And, um, you know, I do some writing. We go in and re-record the album in a few days. And then there's a few days of post-production. And Fearless Flyers, I guess, really have only done three gigs ever. Um, oh, wow. Okay. kind of crazy. And it, it's crazy. We played this, we played North Coast Festival in Chicago. We played Red Rocks and we played Madison Square Garden.
1: Ha! <laughs> Not just bad. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> Not like, bad for three o- gigs. You can only go down from here. Yes, you the know. gigs are
1: only going to get worse. That's yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much how that's and going then, to like, work. You know,
0: and, or whatever. Maybe we just don't play until we can play those places again. Whatever.
1: So I want to ask you something as somebody who... Like, I've always been really interested in producing a record for somebody else. Sure. I think that's like a, a, something that I would probably do well. But I I don't really know... How does one get started? Like, what's the first thing you do? You just find a, a small band and be like, hey, I want to produce this for you. Like, what would you say uh, to somebody like me?
0: I don't... Well, I guess if you're getting started. Uh, as far as what I do now, I get approached by bands or sometimes I'll see somebody that I'm really interested in or somebody who I think is, like, awesome and I want to... I might just say, hey, I know that you like my music or whatever... I know what you do and see what you do and think it's really great. And if you are in need of somebody to help you kind of get your album and your stuff and your artistic vision together, I'd be more than happy to do that. And I I guess that would be my answer for you as well. For anybody, it's like, I think to really produce well, the main thing is starting out by trying to figure out what somebody's artistic vision is and help them bring that to life or help them find what that is. You know, not just for this album, but what big picture, what are they going for? Okay, it's this sort of thing. And then, you know, it's what do you want to do for this album? You know, then there's Mm -hmm. there's a creative vision for that album. And then it's really just helping make sure that they keep their eyes on the prize for all those things. But also making sure that the album gets done. Like, I'm working with an artist right now. It's like, okay, you had set a deadline that you wanted this stuff to be happening, you know, by literally next week. And, you know, if it, on my typical timeline, I feel like you're behind schedule, so you need to pick up steam. And then they might, oh, you're being too blunt. You're being too, and it's like, you hired me to do this. This is part of what I'm doing. I'm keeping you on track. If you wanted to do this now, and then you wanted to be mixing, you want the al- the album literally finished being mixed and mastered by by March 1st, well, you know, we're almost in mid-February. You you got a lot of work to do, right? You know, so that's part of a producer's job sometimes as well. Just make sure the artist understand artist or band really understands you have their best interest. You're always looking. You're a fiduciary for them in their artistry and creativity, but also a part of a producer's job is to really just make sure that everything gets done and that they're trying to make sure that, uh, it gets done in a time that, that you've kind of set. And of course things can move and things can adjust, but, um, you occasionally have to navigate depending on the band between the artist or band and man and their manager or their label. Like, you know, it's, it's a lot of times the producer that they're yelling at if things are coming behind schedule.
1: Right. Right. That. It's kind of weird that you went for that specific example on that specific timeline because I have a text chat that goes along with this podcast. And I told everybody on this text chat that I was going to have my EP done by February 28th. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm very likely not going to, but I have the music done. It's just as it's evolved, it's turned into a little bit more ambitious of a project. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, there is that adjustment there. So I'm not, I'm not bummed because that, that, short timeline did push me to get it done Mm -hmm. like i have the music okay cool i've got the music and the weirdo horror movie vibes all set and ready to go but uh along the way there's been some ideas i've i really want to flesh out and so i'm probably not going to be done with that everybody this is the public announcement of that but uh it's going to be close (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's
1: okay. I think sometimes
0: you you chase something down. You set your goals, you set your timelines, and then things adjust, and and that's fine. And some people work on tighter timelines. Some people work on loose. Like I don't know how some of these bands were allowed to take. Well, I don't know. I guess I do because there was a lot more money and there was a lot more at stake, and there was just so much bigger budgets. But like spending three years in the studio making an album now that's different than taking three years to put it between your albums that's that's totally fine i think now you know there's uh the famous daniel eck recent controversy of him saying you're not allowed to take more than a year you know in the new business whatever to 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 make your albums whatever i don't i'm i'm not getting into that but some bands that were literally just renting out a studio for two fricking years right. and they're in the studio every day for two years. It's like, dude, what were we? what were you,
1: what were you what doing?
0: Were, what, were you, what was going on? Like, how, how did you not, how, how did you not finish the album? Two had, years. You were how did studio? you not
1: get 13 albums done?
0: Totally. That's, that's to me what's like, <laughs> who was in charge of the time management and who let this seriously, who let this help happen? What a waste of resources. And, and for, you know, forgive me. I I'm sure there's examples of, of bands or artists where they really needed that and whatever, but it was, there's a, a lot of times where it was common to, to basically rent out a studio for an entire year and, and just make kind of the average album, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't out of the ordinary. Now, of course, there's certain examples of Eagles, the long run, Metallica, of the Black album, D'Angelo, Voodoo, or whatever, you know, or uh, even Black Messiah or whatever the one was that took a lot, they, they rented this electric lady for a year or something. Okay, those are exceptions. Those are incredible albums, life-changing albums for many people. That weren't even involved, right? Just the listeners, the consumers. But if you take a listen to many, like if it was just somewhat commonplace for for bands to have a year in the studio, it's like eight hours. If we're talking even just, you know, forty-hour work week, cut it in half. Screw it. A twenty-hour work week. <laughs> right? You know, it was such a fricking easy schedule. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. What a dream. I, I could I, I, I could I can't even imagine what it'd be like for me able to be able to get together with my band every day for a year with the sole purpose of 10 songs to get recorded. 10 songs. Those better be bangers, <laughs> right? Like well, yeah, just and the, the other the thing cream. is the labels kind of expected some filler to a certain degree, which is hilarious to me. But, uh, you know, we live in a different time. And maybe, actually, maybe that's why they didn't get anything done is because they knew they had a year. It's like, I don't know, let's just hang out. We don't need the, – the project's not – it's like, well, maybe you should have just given them one week in the studio. Like, all right, you guys are going on a, a one-month writer's retreat. And by the time the retreat's done, we want you to have 20 songs that you feel really good about it. Or like, you know, 20 songs that are pretty much there that you need to live with for a couple months and then finish up at home. And then we're going to go in the studio for
1: two weeks. You know, maybe they would have just gotten it done. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, there's something to be said for the tools that we have access to now I think does speed that process up significantly. Totally, totally. But still, yeah, a year, I mean, a year's a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, here's, here's
0: the other thing, is that we have those tools at our fingertips for you and I to both do. Like I, you know, I know not every uh, artist knows how to use Pro Tools or Logic or whatever, you, whatever DAW you're using, but most do nowadays. So it's like they had engineers Assistant, a typical session. Okay. This still baffles me. Some of these sessions that I'll go into now, there's like main engineer, assistant engineer, kind of extra couple people hanging out. There's a studio runner. It's not like they had to, you know, you could be like, oh, well, we have Uber Eats now. It's like, no, no, no. They had two people in the studio that would just go get them whatever they wanted at any time. Hey, I'm hungry. Can we go, can you go pick us up some in and out? Or hey, can you go pick us up some? I don't know what was, what was around and Chinese something. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling some Thai food. It's like, wow, there's not a Thai restaurant and within 40 miles. So it's going to take, it's like, Oh yeah, well we got a runner. They'll go get it. What do you want? Here's the menu. You know, there was runners that would just go get them whatever they wanted and the producer and all these extra people around. So I do understand we do have different tools at our disposal now, but bad stabs. You know, of people, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I have this completely wrong. I would love to be wrong. And you know what else I'd love is I'd love to, to have been born maybe 30 years earlier where somebody actually gave me like an insane budget and a year and a half to make an album. I don't know what I would make. I don't know that my albums would be any better.
1: Yeah. You know, I think at some point you kind of just do what you do. Totally. And the timeline. Does it really change that much? I'm sure it does in some cases, because you change as a person over a year, I would hope. But uh, I don't know. I don't know that the quality of the material would be all that objectively better. I don't think that it would be.
0: Yeah, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, David Byrne talks about this in his book. He talks about those days and what it is more in well what nowadays what he's referring to whenever that book was published maybe 10 years ago or something but uh he talks about
1: that i think that exact sentiment that you're saying you know it's another thing too that i just think about i've gotten so lucky to be able to do this kind of stuff and be in this industry instead of what i was doing before but i think back to you know my buddies and i wanted to record a record and we really, really wanted to record a record. But we all had regular, you know, blue-collar day jobs. And so we had to, I had to, I personally had to put my vacation in a year in advance. And so we wanted sure. to get a record done just because we wanted to do it. It was something we wanted to do as a, as a group. Yeah. And so we scheduled a year in advance. Okay, we're going to be in this studio with a, a friend's studio for about a week. And my vacation time was spent r- recording a record. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I think yeah. about like that. With that in mind, you know, like somebody who's tearing a roof off right now would love that kind of schedule to do that mm-hmm. kind of work. Yeah, you know, they might even be listening to this right now while they're while they're r- ripping a roof off. I don't know, but I just think about like how lucky we are to be able to do creative type things for a living. And I really try not to take that for granted because sometimes we all get a little bit grumpy with the process or with something we got to deal with. And then I just think back to me from five years ago. I'm like, no, nah, I'm I'm okay. Absolutely. I'm, and everything uh, that I'm saying only applies to people
0: who are full-time recording artists, bands, musicians. So mm-hmm. everything that I've said that I've loosely ranted, I guess, (laughs) about thus far has been that. Like, we are so lucky to do what we do. I am so blessed and fortunate to do this. I I could complain about several things, but I'm not gonna. You know, it's like (laughs) streaming rates. Ooh, I'd love to, I'd love to just think about that for a second. And then I'd love to think about it for an hour and then just conjure up all the What the unfairness or whatever that so many people do speak up about, and maybe, maybe shame on me for not speaking up about it or not caring about it enough. Like, but also at the same time, like I didn't grow up in the era where we were selling CDs Mm -hmm. and tons of records. Like, I don't know that anything I ever do will be a platinum record. I I don't think. I don't think I'll ever do that. I don't even think I'll ever get a gold record. I looked into like, you know, just all the albums that I've been a part of with Wolfpack, Fearless Flyers and my own music and it's like all those together, every album together probably wouldn't even make up a gold record considering today's standards. I think it's I don't remember what it is. Maybe it's um 1500 plays equals one purchase or something. Is that how it works? Yeah, let me look it up. Hold on, just a second. us i I'm curious let's now. Let's get this straight. Streaming to sale uh conversion for RIAA gold.
1: The suspense builds.
0: Okay. 1500, yeah. Yep, I was exactly right.
1: 1500 streams 1500
0: 1500 streams equals one purchase
1: for as far as the R.I.A.A. goes.
0: Yes. For, OK, gotcha. gotcha. So I guess what is that? That's uh, one point five. Would that be one point five billion streams in
1: order to go platinum? That sounds right. That math checks out, I think. I'm not pulling up a calculator, so I'm not sure. <laughs> That's a lot of freaking streams. That's a lot of streams. And like, it, isn't it a stream has to be a minimum of 30 or 60 seconds? I know on, on podcast yeah. with Spotify, it's yeah, 60 it's, seconds, but... It's,
0: it's 30 seconds equals a stream. Now, if you... T- I mean, whatever. So now I guess we're into this this part of the industry. Let's no, do it. Now we are, we, it. we are kind of ranting. So uh, I bought hundreds of CDs as a kid. Definitely. Me too. And I can't think of many
1: of them that I listened to 1,500 times. No, because I was always searching for the next thing and buying more CDs. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, I
0: maybe have listened to Weezer's Blue Album 1,500 times, um, the first Foo Fighters album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, um, maybe Blink-182, Enema of the State, um, Sublime Self-Titled... I'm just trying to think of like when I was when I was a teenager, the the albums that the CDs that were in my car that just
1: like were always playing. <laughs> I think there was a year in in middle school for me where System of a Down toxicity did not leave my Walkman. So that probably got oh, yeah. well over 1500 plays.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's like that's one sale? I don't know. Like I I don't know that any of the albums like 95% of the albums I've bought I haven't listened to 1500 times. So maybe that's just what needs to change on that. And then it's like, you know, about a million stream, a million streams, you maybe make three grand or something like that. I don't I don't remember exactly what it is. And then if your digital distributor takes a cut, if your label takes a cut, if you're on a label, I'm independent, so it doesn't apply to me. But,
1: um, and I use DistroKid for distribution. They take literally 0%, it's kind of dope. So this is a perfect thing to talk about right now because this has been a subject uh, in the text chat with the listeners okay like quite often is this thing specifically and DistroKid is who I'm going to end up using as well but I have you've been in the music industry quite a bit deeper and heavier than I have sure now I've developed this theory and mostly surrounding this podcast but I did this by myself I didn't have anybody Helping me along, other than guests sharing it when it came out. That's the most help I got in the exposure category. And, you know, I've been able, it's not the biggest podcast in the world, but it is a significant source of how I pay my bills. And it's really important. One pause, though. One
0: pause, though, would be one pause. Of course, your supporters and people around you, your your support system as a person and the the support system in your community on the internet has helped in a lot of ways to like anybody, but I I get what you're saying as far as like
1: tangible. uh, Oh, without, yeah, without them, I would be nothing. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Without all those people. So I'm not discounting that I'm, I'm actually just going to say like, I've been able to make this a thing Mm -hmm. that people do enjoy and do listen to. Now it's not music and it's produced in a significantly different way and sure. And all that, but it is still a, audio file that you go stream on the internet yeah and it, with spotify you kind of do the same thing yeah and so i've i've long held this idea in my head that i'm like why why if you put in, it's hard i'm not saying that it's easy it's a lot of work but do you really need a label these days do you really need that kind of support structure when you can just do it yourself and own everything i think owning everything is so crucial. Do you really need all that stuff anymore? What do you think?
0: Well, there is a spectrum of label involvement and I'll, I'll just talk about some different experiences that I've seen and uh, who I think benefits from those things. So to answer your question that you asked, simply, it depends on the person. Some people need a label because they're not cut out for the indie entrepreneur thing and that's totally fine. Some artists are brilliant and they carry all of their bandwidth in that part of their brain. They choose not to put any bandwidth in other parts, and that's totally fine, that's okay. Some artists need to live in that space and not go to the business side. For me, I'm kind of wired in both, Uh, sometimes to a fault. Like the uh, like, like I'll show up to certain things and it's like, oh Corey, the artist is here. It's like, oh no, 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 business Corey is here. No, no, no. This is business, Corey. Uh this is a business meeting, so it's it's business Corey. You know, right? <laughs> where I kind of have to I have to uh I have to watch myself on that because I flip it in my brain, but the person might think that like, oh, you know, the artist wanted to come here and just kind of see what's happening. It's like, no, 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 I'm I'm actually gonna like lead the negotiation of this deal. And right. Uh, from our side, you know, whatever. And I do have managers and they're wonderful. They are amazing at what they do, but we do it together. It's not just like, oh yeah, you guys handle everything and tell me what I need to do. Certain artists need a manager or even just a personal assistant to get through all their scheduling, all their whatever. And that's totally fine. That's great. Same thing with on the label side, certain artists are able to, Understand and weigh the options, run the cost-benefit analysis for themselves, and see. Okay, here's the thing. Here's kind of my release strategy. Here's what I'm going to do leading up to the release. Here's going to what I'm going to do when the release happens, and then after the release, how I'm going to keep pointing people back to it. You know, they're going to come up with a strategy for three dimensions of that of the release, or they don't want to think about any of that. All they want to think about is the creative. The person who can't put any bandwidth towards that sort of thing, they benefit from a label. They truly do. And, and I, I mean that. And, you know, labels get a bad rap and most of the time for good reason, because there's been a lot of really bad labeled deals. But sometimes a label will come along and say, hey, we believe in you as an artist. Here's $30,000 or $5,000 or $200,000. That's pretty rare now to get that much. But here is here's an advance go make your album and we're going to when the album comes out uh we're going to recoup our $200,000 and then after that you know you'll make 30% or 10% or 50% of net income after that you know but this thing called a 360 deal that you that happened that started happening which was which more common still is around would be like you know, So typically what would happen is they would recoup their money on the album sales. But now it's also like you go out on tour, any of that profit also go- goes towards recouping the album or any of your t-shirts that are sold also goes towards recouping the album, which to a certain degree does make sense. I-, I will say that to a certain degree, business Corey might agree to that. But I think that there needs to be other things at play. Like labels have certain relationships that they can leverage to get you coverage in for, you know, they have certain publicists that are really good that you might not even be able to get unless you had the label. They have certain promotional arms. They have certain connections with network television with sync licenses and that sort of thing that could really benefit even somebody who does have the bandwidth to focus on the, on the business side of things. But the other side of it is if you are an artist who has the capacity and the time and the bandwidth to be able to run that stuff yourself. Okay. This album's probably going to cost me 20 grand. This is my job. I'm going to invest that money in what I do in the same way that like somebody who wants to own, open up a sandwich shop would spend $20,000 on tables and chairs. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to invest the money to make this album. I'll go on tour to support this album, blah, blah, blah. I do all that stuff you know so that person might not need the label and they're doing it all themselves and it's all indie and they hire a publicist themselves or they do it all organic to try to get buzz happening and they they're the ones that are organizing all of their own destiny i guess in that facet but then there is the, and that's that's kind of the more common indie artist approach and sometimes they'll have managers or uh, some video or audio team to help them with some of that sort of thing Like a lot of YouTube artists have video editors on staff, you know, or on salary retainer, whatever, and that's part of what helps them to be able to do what they do. And then they focus on other things, and then they have somebody who kind of helps manage their day to day, keep them on track. Sure, that's that's one uh, side of the spec, part of that spectrum as well. But then also one thing that certain labels do, and this is typically if an artist is already somewhat successful, and I know that I've been offered this sort of thing. Uh, Well, actually, I'll tell you exactly what I was offered. And I know other bands that have been offered this sort of thing, where it's basically a distribution deal through a label. So somebody, any one of the major labels or their subsidiaries, um, they will say, hey, we know that you do really well and you're successful as an artist. We're not signing you but we believe in your album and what you do. How about we do the physical distribution of the album, meaning CDs, vinyl, any anything that's, anything that's not digital, right? All physical distribution. We will handle that side of it, but we're going to take 9% or 15% or 30%, somewhere in there, depending on if there's an advance involved and depending on... I don't know, whether they like you and your album, I guess, also. (laughs) (laughs) For what they think they can do with it. Yes, totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a hybrid model. And I've seen some artists who have like, all right, the the label actually really, really believes in this album. They're making 15% on physical distribution. You still keep your digital distribution, whatever that deal is. We'll we'll go to that later. Uh, The label says we take 15% of digital distribution or 9%. Those are I guess more the more common percentages for this sort of thing that I've experienced or seen. And then um like the, maybe there starts to be a song that really picks up, the label might actually and and then it's like okay, do we spend you know really a true radio campaign for, you know, kind of a a loosely successful pop artist would be, you know, you spend like 30 grand on a radio campaign. I personally have never spent that much on a radio campaign, partially because my music isn't necessarily radio hit stuff. Like I do well in the jam, jazz, that sort of world. And I have stuff, I do have songs that would fit in kind of the pop realm, but they don't know quite how to fit me because it's like, you're a guitar player? What? Um, We don't really do guitar players in our station it's like well yeah yeah anyways doesn't matter okay so <laughs> get it. let's say that artist was going to spend 30 grand on a radio campaign themselves sometimes the label will actually just be like hey we really believe in this single we see that it's already starting to pop off organically we'll spend the 30 grand and it'll just count against your uh, they'll kind of like in the middle of a project advance the money. Sometimes that'll happen or sometimes I've even seen it. I had a friend who who had a hit song and and a, and a distribu- physical distribution deal like this and the, the label just said, look, the song's popping off. We're going to sell a crap ton of records. We're going to make way more than our 15% if we spend this, you know, 20 or 50 grand or whatever it was on this publicity and radio campaign. So they just fronted the money and just like they knew that it was a good enough investment that would that would more than pay for itself on their percentage alone, so that sometimes happens that's pretty rare, but the in between is the distribution deal, and I've seen that a lot with major labels and the subsidiaries from major labels where they'll they'll give a somewhat successful artist a deal, so that way like. For me, I've I figure okay, what am I gonna do about vinyl? I'm uh I've done it a few different ways. I've hired a plant to make the albums and I've shipped them out of my house. I've hired a plant to make them and then I hire somebody else to do the fulfillment. Right now I'm in the middle of a vinyl campaign on curates or crates where they just handle it all. You go to their website, you pre-order the album. They make the album and they ship it out. They handle all the stuff. They're wonderful. They're really great. Um, some people don't see it. Okay, this is the funny thing. Some fans don't like crates because their albums show up damaged. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not like they damaged them while they were shipped. It's like it was in the shipping process. Right. <laughs> you know, I've never had one of their albums show up damaged, so that's why I use them. But uh, it's totally fine. They end up replacing the albums and they're good. They They handle that customer service for that and i believe they do it well because I've, I've seen it um so yeah that's the
1: physical side that's kind of the label does that answer your question enough i think so it, well you know i'm i've always been kind of this stickler i'm like i don't think you need any of that stuff but your point about different artists needing different levels of help is really something that i needed to hear because sometimes i can get a little bit aggressive about Oh, dude, totally. Like, I'm, like, I'm like, just do it. Like, just do it yourself. What are you talking about? You don't need that person to do that for you. It takes you 30 seconds to reply to that email. Like, you can do that. You yes. know, whatever. Um, but I, I also have to respect that, like, that's how I'm wired. Yes. And, and, and not, not everybody, everybody is. is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, There's a lot of people in life that need a little more grace
0: just to get through their regular day to day. And sometimes those people are artists. And sometimes those artists are incredibly compelling at what they do, but they just writing that 30 second email is really hard. There's something crippling about doing it. They can't get themselves to do it. And that's okay. That might seem absurd until all of a sudden it happens to you. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, why, why is, why are there these four tasks just lingering on my to-do list for the last month? I just can't get them done. Why? They're so, they would take me five minutes each. Why can't I get them done? I don't know why, but I just can't get them done. And I think there are certain there are certain um, artists that that have that sort of thing with with a lot of things, whether it be their day to day life or whether it be putting out their album. And those artists deserve our grace as other people in the industry alongside them, and the consumers. Uh, the the artist deserves the grace from the consumer a little bit as well, because I think like the the one dangerous thing that the attitude that you and I both have is like just get it done. It. it it kind of only allows certain types of people then to be able to do what we do. And that's not fair. And 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 I am one of those people that will that would survive in that Darwinian music industry of that sort of, you know, thing. Right. But but it's not fair to people who aren't wired that way. And uh, like I'm saying. So yeah, I, I normally am die hard, just do it yourself. You don't need the labels at all. You don't need don't get a manager until you absolutely need one. And like you you have so much going on that you you just can't manage it yourself. You need somebody to help you get through this stuff. But for some people that that threshold is a lot lower. And that's okay. That's totally okay. Everybody's different.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I need to I need to settle down sometimes. I'm glad you brought that perspective because I definitely am like I'm like I run like 10 different social media accounts. I I'm on the phone all day. I do the blah. I'd like if I can do it, why can't you? And it's like, well, not everybody can do that. Yeah. Like, don't don't stop pretending that you are the same as everybody else. And guess what? There are a lot of talented, super talented artists who are well, most people are way more talented than me. So like, you know, because you're good at grinding doesn't mean that you're gonna produce the best record. Totally. So like shut up like basically is what that (laughs) is what i needed to i i interpreted that for my own needs but the distribution deal is is really interesting i i've heard of that and that makes a ton of sense because you know if you have a really successful vinyl release are you gonna spend three and a half weeks stamping and shipping i mean maybe you are but i've done it yeah like sucks it's not fun Now, it's uh, nice
0: to it's nice to make that extra percentage. It's nice course. to keep that 15% to yourself. But is it worth it? Uh, it's totally up to you. Depends on what it is and how much work it is. It, but exactly. the, the other thing that's nice about the distribution deal is you still own your masters.
1: I do, think that's the most important yeah, thing regardless that, of what you yeah. do. Own your, own masters, your masters.
0: Totally. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we didn't touch on the digital distribution side. Now that is one where the thing like you said, you're going to be using DistroKid. I've used DistroKid for a long time and this isn't an ad for them or anything, but it's just, uh, they're the one. I've studied a bunch of the different ones that are out there. I used TuneCore for one release and they also take 0% and DistroKid takes 0%. The difference between them, like they distribute to different platforms, pretty much all, they, they distribute to all the main ones, but like TuneCore, I don't know if it's like $49 a year per album or something. And with DistroKid, I don't remember if it's like, I don't remember what the number is. $20 to $100 per year per artist. So as many Corey Wong albums as I want to put out, it still costs me the same amount every year. And DistroKid just, they take 0%. Uh, CD Baby, I think still takes 9%. And it's like a $50 upload fee per album. There's some that, cost zero to upload to and cost zero to be a part of, but they take 15% of all streaming income. Like I think SoundDrop and uh, I don't remember. Some of those other uh, digital distribution, big box ones, they don't charge you anything, but they take more of a percentage. So if you're only gonna get a thousand streams per year, that one is better for you. If you know you're gonna, like, you know, for me, a, a good portion, like I can cover like a, a good percentage of my income is from streaming. Now, fortunately, crazy, amazing. Because of that, it makes more sense for me to do something that takes 0% that cost me like a hundred bucks or whatever it is um, to to distribute. Now, if you're with a label, they might have a distribution deal with somebody and the label is gonna take 30% of all digital royalties, which are already pretty small pities as my friend Jack likes to call them
1: <laughs> and
0: rather than pennies, they are pities. Yeah. 0.003. Uh, I yeah. Think, whatever average. it is. Yeah. Uh, something like yeah. That. Depending on whether they're a paid subscriber or free, whatever, we don't need to go into that, but um, yeah. Like, so if a label is taking 30% of your digital income as well, it's like, well, what are they bringing to the table? Hopefully, they have relationships with people that can get you put on playlists. That's the thing for the last four years that everybody's been talking about. Oh, getting playlisted, whatever. Great, that does really help. It makes a huge difference. Uh, but what also really matters is converting those playlist plays to actual fans of yours. You know, like I have a friend who, uh, kind of a tangent, but but applies to this principle. I have a really close friend who makes a bunch of different types of music, but the main thing is ambient music. And his album was probably making him, I don't know, $12, $15 a month or something on streaming. And all of a sudden he got put on the Spotify sleep playlist, right? Mm -hmm. Like the main sleep playlist, whatever that is. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, He's making two grand a month or something off of this, off of this, off of Spotify. He went from like 15 bucks to two grand a month because he was on this playlist. And then 10 months later, they take him off the playlist. Guess what? He's back to 15, $20 a month. He didn't gain any fans from that.
1: Because they were trying to sleep well yeah <laughs> <It's> <laughs> they didn't have brilliant. time to, they didn't have time to pay attention to what was actually going yeah, on they so were that's trying to the take extreme yes that's yeah. the
0: extreme version of this but if it's like uh jazz j- dinner jazz or whatever that's another huge playlist where it's like are people just going for the vibe they might find out who you are but more than likely on a playlist like that you're going to get those plays and they don't necessarily care who the specific artist is that's it's not true for everybody it's a complete generalization in in many ways unfair but it's it's mostly true for some of those types of playlists so those playlists might generate tons of revenue for you which is a good thing but are you actually converting fans that's part of the riddle that you need to solve. And can you have both of those simultaneously? Absolutely. Playlists are not a bad thing at all. But it is not the end-all game. Because a label might support you and get you on playlists for four years. And then when they drop you in four years, you have
1: no more fans than you initially did. Yeah, that's not what you want. Yeah. No. Well, this has been very relevant to my interests, so... Thank you for that. But we should probably get into uh, maybe some of these listener questions before we get completely out of time. Let's do uh, it. All right, here we go. And this one I've been very curious about because I don't know this story, but Jim Burns told me to ask him about playing with Gene Simmons.
0: Ha! <laughs> Gene is dope. Gene's a funny cat. So I show up to this thing. There's this event. Dude, I'm telling you, this is the craziest gig that i've ever well it's in the top three craziest gigs i've ever done but show up to this event where this is huge gala right uh the the keynote speakers are bill clinton hillary clinton george w bush and archbishop archbishop desmond tutu right all
1: right the headliner is
0: Katy perry and gene simmons is playing before her right so we show up to sound check, and this is my first time meeting gene and i you know i learned the tunes we play these three kiss tunes dude honestly i don't even remember the names of them it was that rock and roll all night party every day of course everybody knows course, that song and then um what's the other song we would do i don't even remember it i don't know <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> to I, be honest yeah, I, I know i, I feel I'm awful sorry. not knowing sorry know. gene or Fair any gene. kiss fan but Whatever the other song is that we would do, that, that's the one we did. But the main one I remember is Rock and Roll Night Party Every Day. And we're rehearsing. Oh, he's cracking jokes. He's super fun. He's vibing with the band. It's great. Obviously, he goes, hey, kid, you wireless? And the, the music director looks over me like, you better be wireless, bro. I'm like, yeah, I'm wireless. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm wireless, dude. Always. So he's like, come over here. He's like, all right, when the guitar, he's like, I am the star of the show. We all know that, right? I'm like, yeah, of course, you're Gene Simmons. I'm the star of the show. But as soon as the guitar solo happens, you're the star of the show. So I need you to do a little Chuck Berry walk over to me from the side of the stage or, you know, from side, the side area where you are, I need you to Chuck Berry walk up to me and you're going to walk out onto the catwalk and you're going to play the guitar solo and there's going to be a spotlight on you. Okay, great. So we do that blah blah blah. oh my gosh this is incredible this is hilarious so i I walk out there right like we do the gig at night i get out there and we play the tune i do the chuck berry duck walk out to the middle i get out and as i'm duck walking it's coming out of the chorus i see i dude i see george bush george w bush is it laura bush is that his wife or is it yeah yeah laura okay gw and laura Hillary and Bill Clinton, they're sitting next to each other. They're they're hanging out. They're they're like they're very friendly. You know, I think a lot of people think these politicians from opposite sides, I mean, many of them obviously they disagree on a lot of things, but they're hanging out, laughing, having a great time. I'm watching them eat dinner, right? Okay, it's George and Laura Bush, Katy Perry and her handler, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Lou Ferrigno, The Hulk. <laughs> what? <laughs> and Cheech Marin at the head table. Oh no 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 no! Sorry, I'm missing one person. Prime uh, Prime Minister who is Tony Blair. What? <laughs> Tony Blair is there. Okay, and and like his Secret Service or whatever they're called there, the- and and then they're just like the the kind of like row behind them is some some Secret Service watching over this whole table because you got two ex presidents, you got Tony Blair. And you know, Lou Ferrigno is just there also just chilling, right? And you got Cheech. Oh my gosh, this was this was hilarious. So I'm walking to, out to the catwalk and the head table, I see that because it's this, it's it gala where they're raising millions of dollars uh for this uh the Starkey Hearing Foundation. Incredible event they host every year. I've played at it several times. Anyways, I'm walking out. I'm duck walking out and I see this head table and I see Bill Clinton and George W. Bush wanna rock and roll all night. You know, like dancing, singing along. And then I get out to the thing and I start playing my guitar solo and Hillary Clinton's raising her head. Yeah, you know, like everybody's yelling, having a good time. Katie Perry's down there screaming, you know. Cheech is like, hey, man, you know, and then I hear from behind me lean into me. I'm playing the guitar solo. Lean into me. I kind of turn around. I'm like, what? What?" Gene Simmons is standing behind me going, lean into me. Lean into me. (laughs) So I trust fall back into Gene Simmons, and I'm leaning. My back is against his stomach, and he puts his sunglasses on my eyes in the middle of this (laughs) guitar solo while I'm leaning back, and Gene Simmons is holding me up, throwing up the rock and roll horns. And in that moment, I was thinking to myself, there's no way that this is real there's no way that this is real like what is happening right now and then the end of the guitar solo gene pushes me up grabs his sunglasses off my face puts them back on his and kind of boots me back to my position in the stage <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like oh my gosh well and and on my way back i see frankie muniz screaming yelling I see like a bunch, of, like all these. There was a ton of these celebrities, uh, athletes.
1: It was insane, dude. I can't even wrap my mind around that story. That is incredible. <laughs> and that's the kind of crap that's like, man, I couldn't make that story up.
0: How how did right. that happen? And then I look back and I look over the music director. <laughs> he's kind of shaking his head laughing putting his head down like oh what are we into like how uh, this isn't like the first time that some sort of weird incident like this has happened you know it's like there's so many just funny weird stories you get into like weird situations like this it's incredible it's what
1: what a wild ride life is sometimes. I mean, that you'd almost like look back on that sometimes and be like, "Was that a fever dream? What was that real?" Is, Dude, I know. I get hit in the head, and I just made all that up. Like, Dude, what's going on? <laughs> that's amazing. That's. I'm so glad he told me. To ask you about that? that yeah, is, I'm, I'm glad I had awesome. like
0: ten of my friends there to to see it and like laugh and uh, to to make sure that it it really did happen. That's amazing.
1: Oh man, I have so many questions, but we're we're getting a little bit short on time. So that's all right. Rifle them off. Rifle right, them off. Here let's we go. Hit it. Ha, Mikey, I can. I'm sorry, Mikey. I, your last name is very Italian, so I'm going to butcher it. Mikey, Famiglietti. Fum, I, 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 we've talked a million times on the internet, but I still don't know how sure. to pronounce your last name. How does he think his neural plugin stacks against ups? Or stacks up to his analog setup. I use my neural DSP setup for basically everything now.
0: Oh, wow. The Archetype Corey Wong. I love it. Now, I love playing through amps. Don't get me wrong. Um, Speaking of the Italians, dude, I did this amp shootout. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't come at me. Don't come at me here. All right. It's controversial. A Dumble Steel String Slinger. so a Dumble in person versus a Super Reverb versus a Twin Reverb. JC120. DV Mark Raw Dog, the Eric Gale signature amp made by Mm -hmm. Mark Bass Company. What else was there? We had a Deluxe, we had a an AC30, several things. I've recorded. I recorded myself playing all these amps. I played it back for a bunch of friends, who are both musicians and non-musicians, and myself. Who do you think won the shootout? Out of
1: all of those? Out of all those amps, think like just think of the top three. What do you think the top three are? I'm gonna say the top three are probably. Now this might be down to personal taste a little bit, but of probably the Super Reverb, the AC, and I mean, you you would think the Dumble, wouldn't you? Right. So that's what I'm gonna go with.
0: Okay. You do you know my guitar style? Super clean, spanky. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Are you judging your answers on that or judging it just by your own personal? A little bit of both. Okay, great. So mm-hmm. we were judging it all on like my sound and my specific thing, right? Clean pop guitar, but like funk guitar, clean, that sort of Very thing. Very percussive, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Much love to the Italians. The number one out of everybody, the DV Mark Raw Dog. Wow. I would not have guessed that. Dude, that amp. Is
1: I mean, sick. Eric Gill sounds amazing. So oh, yeah.
0: that amp is sick. I don't know why DV Mark hasn't taken off as a as a guitar amp brand. I love that amp. That it sounds freaking insane. DV Mark makes incredible stuff. They have like a microtube in there, but otherwise the rest of it is solid state. I don't know which if it's a microtube in the power or the pre, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. It's I I like what sounds good. So for me, it was, it was a toss up. Like I like the DV Mark raw dog for my thing, the absolute most. And I will say, I played it through like a two rock speaker that sounded Mm -hmm. great. And then the DV Mark raw dog into the super reverb speakers. Now there's some weirdness with the ohms because the raw dog is like an eight ohm, but the, the super reverb is a two ohm cab. And apparently that's not good, but it sounds freaking awesome. Uh,
1: you gotta be careful with
0: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't get it. Like, why can't I just like can somebody just please make me something that allows me to play the raw dog through the super reverb? Like, do they have something like that through the through those speakers?
1: I don't know. Is there like an ohm converter? You could wire it up. You might have to get some I don't know exactly how the super reverb's wired, but you could wire it up in such a way that it should work with either with the speakers that are in there and running them series or parallel or Maybe you might have to get some resistors involved to make everything just right. But. Yeah. Somebody
0: come at me. Help me out.
1: Yeah. A- anyways,
0: anyway. uh, yeah. Hit me up. Find me online. <laughs> 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 my my top amps, the DV Mark Raw Dog, the Dumble was definitely up there. The Dumble was like the like the uh, overall like pop king. Uh, just like it handles distortion well, it handles overdrive really well. But then. Um, as far as overall clean, it was a tie between the super reverb and the the JC 120. JC 120 sounded freaking ins- There's a certain punch to it. I don't know. Like there's a certain snap to the punch. I like the super reverb more for overdrive sounds. Like it takes pedals a little bit better. But as far as just judging straight up clean tone and overallness, DV Mark, Raw Dog, the Dumble, and then a tie between the Super Reverb and the uh the JC one twenty.
1: Now for the listeners, I just pulled this up real quick while we were while we were talking about this. Um the D V Mark Raw dog is four hundred dollars. Dude, that's what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> this I'm talking okay. Hold on, let's do some math here. Let's do some math. Let's do some math. Um the last dumble that I saw was a hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. You could buy 250 dv mark raw dogs
1: <laughs> you'd be
0: set you'd be dialed and, and you'd like i've got one in every country <laughs> plus uh well not quite but yeah I, it's crazy anyways i use the neural dsp for all of my recording i've used it on my last all the all the albums i made in 2020 and yeah, I use it on most of the stuff that I produce, and when people ask me to remote track on stuff, I normally use the archetype Corey Wong plugin. It's wonderful. I mean, I put them through the ringer on that, uh, in in a good way. Like they were, they are freaking great. They're genius programmers, coders.
1: So it was cool. Very cool. I'm glad we got into that. That's great. I'm gonna pull one more, even though there's a there's quite a bit.
0: Uh, yeah, let's let's do, is, let's do a few more. Let's do, do a few. Let's do one more for now. More?
1: And save a few
0: more for after or whatever however you do that.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll get let's see. Let's pull another one here cuz I got some classic ones I got to ask at the end or I'll get in trouble. Um Okay. Let's see. This is a good one right here. Let me make sure I can find it. I went away to find the uh DB Mark amp and now I have to get back into the the yeah. group here let's see okay here we go uh brandon sauce he says he would like to know what your typical practice routine is um i normally
0: block it off in an hour and it's 15 minutes like hour-long chunks 15 minutes of warm-up slash technique That's both right hand and left hand, you know, so technique exercises. About 15 minutes of kind of, like, concept for, like, whether it be arpeggios and chords, arpeggios and scales, that sort of thing. Sometimes I'll I'll, kind of double down on the technique stuff, and it's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to practice these triad pairs, playing... C major and B flat major triad pairs up and down, switching off and blah, 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 this and that. Um, And then, you know, that sort of thing. It'll be concept based for 15 minutes. And then the other 15 minutes is kind of like ear training, learning songs, learning parts, honing some of my instincts, learning what is happening. And then the other 15 minutes will be focused on creativity. I, I schedule practice time I to turn on the switch of creativity, so uh, I practice just being able to get in the get in the zone right away of something creative um and then of course, that that honestly doesn't feel like quite enough time for any of those, so sometimes you know I just double the length and it's a two hour practice session, or sometimes you know if that's like a typical just like all right, I'm gonna sit down and practice daily sort of thing, but then it's also. It depends. Like I don't have a regular practice routine anymore. A lot of times it's preparing for whatever's coming up next. Okay, I have this sort of session coming up. I'm gonna kind of practice things that I think I might run into at that session. Or if they sent music ahead of time, learning the music, coming up with some ideas for it. Or if somebody's hired me like, hey, last minute, we need a guitar player. Our guitar player, I've had this happen before where, hey, our guitar player broke their arm we need you to come. Like we need somebody to come out and fill in the last four dates. Um, can you get on the plane tomorrow? You oh know? wow! So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll learn somebody's sixty-minute set in a day, and do whatever I need to do to make that happen. But I, there's ways to practice that, and some of that is built into just learning, learning more songs fast, and only giving yourself like in the session world sometimes. I'll listen through a demo, like they'll they'll play the demo one time down. It's like, all right, let's go. Create some iconic parts that are gonna live forever with great tone, great time, great feel, and are really creatively energizing to my artistic vision. Okay. Okay, uh, go now. No pressure. Do it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So <laughs> I think if you if you force yourself to practice that sort of thing, you actually can you can get good at it just by practicing it if you hone your instincts enough. Um but then also it's just there's other things that sometimes I go in phases of going, okay, I really want to work on um, certain improvisation techniques. I'm going to spend some time studying this Jerry Bergonzi pentatonics book or something. And I'll go through that. And then when I'm done with that book, I kind of move on to different things. But I'm always kind of trying to advance, you know, it, whether it be... Tech, so I, I guess it it's breaking up broken up into technical facility on the instrument, concept practicing different concepts on the instrument, ear training and instinct honing,
1: and then creativity, those different blocks. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, last one from the group, here we go. Drew Lopez, uh, in his opinion, what is overhyped advice for players and what isn't stressed enough?
0: What is not stressed enough? Rhythm, playing in time, playing with good feel um and then i guess to be a little more nuanced in there when you release your notes so many people focus Mm -hmm. on oh yeah i played in time like it's funky because i was playing in time oh yeah it sounds good because look i'm like you know we were in time and i hit all the notes at the right spot it's like yeah but you didn't release them there was no breath in there it didn't feel like it it had any bump to it you know so uh, the releases of notes is a huge thing most people that's a general one people focus on the attacks they don't focus on the releases the other one Mm. is everybody wants to just be a killer lead player when i was in college a lot of my classmates all they would practice is lead guitar like how many bands do you play in where that's all that you do is lead guitar i don't know maybe for some people that is everything but for me you know and as a session player and as somebody who's played in the touring world a lot Most of what I've done is rhythm guitar. So, rhythm
1: guitar is underrated and underpracticed, undervalued. And rhythm guitar is like in guitar based music, it is the song. Like, it's the main, one of the main drivers of the song. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, it it all goes together, obviously, but it's Mm -hmm. usually a pretty big big portion of the backbone. So that's that's good. So you're saying lead overhyped, rhythm underhyped basically. Yeah. Would that be a attacks short of notes?
0: Mm-hmm. Attacks of notes hyped the proper amount. Cuz you got to get your you got to be tight. You got to be in time. But releases of
1: notes are another thing that's just underhyped. Got it. Got it. Okay, we're into the the final couple questions of the podcast let's get into this but before we do that this is your time to shine you've uh you've been a great guest really enjoyed your perspective on a lot of this stuff but now you get to tell a few thousand people anything you want you can tell your mother that you love her you can uh you can say whatever you want this is your your time to put up a billboard well my mother won't listen to the podcast so that would you know
0: It'd be like setting up a billboard in, in, in Calabasas, but my mom lives in Minneapolis. It's like, you
1: know,
0: it's fun, but she's not going to see it. Um, I would say check me out on YouTube and Spotify and all that and follow and subscribe. People say that. And it's like, we get fatigued from hearing people like, Oh, subscribe to my YouTube channel or follow me on Spotify. It's like, but honestly it really does help out the artists. I don't know quite know what it does for the algorithm, but it really does help. Um, so, you know, I got a, I got a full YouTube series, a new variety show I've been working on called Corey and the Wong notes. I'm really stoked about, really excited about, and on Spotify. Um, yeah, I have a new album with it. And, you know, now that we've talked about Spotify and all that, you could probably find out how much each one of my songs has been streamed and make the calculation of how much money I've made in the last year. <laughs> and it'll probably cover my insurance policy for being an artist. <laughs> no, that's a lie. That's a lie. Um, get my my. I'm just giving advice to people. Find out what you're really good at and try to emphasize that. And if you don't have the bandwidth to do something, it's okay to ask for help. I'll use my spotlight right. to say that.
1: I like it. I like it. I'm going to add one to you because you have a podcast yourself. And... Some people may not know that. So it's called Wong notes podcast. It's very good. We've had a few crossover guests, I think at this point, but it was a cool. I've been really enjoying it. I was just listening to the uh, Yvette Young episode because she's one of my favorite people and one of my favorite guests that I've had on and one of my favorite guitar players. So I was like, well, that's an obvious must listen. So cool. That one for sure. Yeah, it was fun. She she was the one that I mentioned uh, when I said we've talked about sleep paralysis. That was her episode, her latest episode. Oh, I say. yeah. So. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Intense. Or not cool?
0: Um, yeah. She has an
1: interesting take on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's
0: cool. She's an interesting person. I like her. She's great. I like
1: her a lot. She's one of my favorites. Um, all right, let's uh let's wrap this thing up with the classic questions. Number one, what is your favorite boss pedal? <sighs> Come at me, dude. The metal zone. All right, I like it. A man after my own heart. You just gotta know gotta how to use it. Metals. Well, I I don't know. <laughs> like um I saw Prince
0: using a bunch of boss pedals when I was when I saw his pedal board and um yeah, there's one overdrive. There's a distortion that he is th- the chief or like the what is it called?
1: I don't know what Prince's distortion was. I, I think it's the
0: o- o- OD. O- OD one,
1: no, maybe the DS one. I love the DS one. I'm a huge DS one fan.
0: Maybe it was a DS one. He can pull that off so well on this. I don't think it works as well with my strat and like the. Because for me, it all starts with a clean tone, and then I have to find pedals that correspond with that really well. And it, it takes a very specific type of distortion in order to do that. Yeah, you have a very um, specific sound. Very specific. So the favorite Boss pedal... I'm going to stick with the Metal Zone, man. All right. <laughs> metal Zone. I like dope. it. The metal Zone classic, like dude.
1: <laughs> Okay, this is the final one, and this is the controversial one. This is the one that people get a little bit heated about. Oh,
0: wait, 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 hold Whoa. on. Oh, hold wait, on. you got Actually, more? I'm okay, changing okay. my. I'm changing my Whoa, answer. Okay. Back when I was in college, I had the Boss um, ME50 multi effects. Oh, it was this blue okay. thing. It had three. It had three pedals, and then it had a like a uh, it had three foot switch pedals, and then it had a. Uh, A switchable like like, wah volume, it could it could whammy. There was a ring modulator effect on the ME fifty that was dope. Now that I I, did not become controlled, so um, like it, I normally use the wah on it. You could engage it. It's normally a, a volume pedal until you engage it, and then it can turn into whatever other things that the knob has. It's this blue multi effects thing. Honestly, I don't really love any of the other effects on it, whatever. Fine. But the ring modulator on that sounds really cool. And I've never been able to find another ring modulator like that. And maybe it's because it's all foot controlled the way that they have it, but it also doesn't sound to me like a traditional ring modulator. Anyways, that's my favorite thing boss has done. We'll
1: move on. Okay. All right, cool. All right. Final question. What is your favorite kind of pizza? brand or toppings the whole we got to get as detailed as you are willing to get there are two,
0: two brands two two places that i absolutely love okay one is hometown punch pizza incredible napoli style pizza now just their buffalo mozzarella uh with peppers and mushrooms now i don't really eat a lot of meat I you know, I don't I don't really I mean I'm like, you know, whatever. I don't I'm somewhat lactose intolerant. It was really bad for years and now it's a little bit better. So I don't have a lot of dairy and I don't really eat meat much. But punch pizza, the buffalo mozzarella with with peppers, red peppers and mushrooms is a go to, and sometimes the sausage. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a place in Atlanta called Antico Pizza. Antico Pizza has this incredible pizza called the Diavola. That's like, uh, well, you can look it up. Uh, they, like these cats brought in these ovens from Italy. Ooh. They brought in all this stuff from Italy to set up shop. Now, they also have a sister restaurant called DeSano's in Nashville. I've heard of DeSanos.
1: Honestly, and
0: and everybody's like, oh, DeSanos is the exact same as Antico. Antico's better. I don't know. I think Antico's better. I'm certain Antico's better. And, you know, it's just like a two-hour or three-hour drive. So I always wanted to tell my friends like, all right, next time we go on tour, I've told my my booking agent, let's book me Nashville to Atlanta back-to-back. I want to have DeSanos and Antico back-to-back, night after night so I can prove to my friends that Antico is better. I don't know why it's better. It's the same. It's like the same process, same recipes, but somehow Antico is better. Anyways, and then I also, pizza-wise, I like Italy. E-A-T-L-Y. Now, there's there's several in the U.S. and maybe other places as well, but the one in Chicago in particular has great pizza. Upstairs, they have a pizza and pasta Kind of restaurant. They have they have a handful of restaurants upstairs, and they have like an Italian market and blah blah blah. But um, I like I like their pizza, and then you know these are all places in the U.S. and I'm talking about Italian stuff. But Italy is my absolute favorite place to tour in the world, and there are just amazing pizza places around Italy. But I, I normally Pizza's not my go-to when I'm in Italy. Mm-hmm. I normally go for more of the pastas
1: and other things. I think I would just get so fat if I ever get to Italy. I'm going to just eat I eat a lot. I'm a am a big fan of food as listeners know. Yeah. But, uh, I think I'm like I am going to go to Italy one day and I'm just going to bring bigger pants than <laughs> because I know I know I'm going to go I'm gonna go to town. I'm not gonna hold back. I'm gonna I'm gonna try it all, all of it. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean it's, there's the food in Italy is the absolute best. You've never been? No, dude, you I gotta haven't. go,
1: dude. You gotta I really go. want to go.
0: I I've toured a bunch of Italian cities, and I would like only tour in Italy. If I had to, if I had to pick one country to tour the rest of my life, I'd probably be the U.S. because it'd be the easiest and it's the biggest and it's my biggest audience. But Italy is, woo-hoo-hoo. oh my gosh, I can't wait to get back there.
1: Yeah, I thought I was going to get to go there because I was looking at some equipment that I needed to bring back um, from it or, or we needed to get trained on. And I was like, this is an excuse to go to Italy. And then, you know, everything happened. So. Probably not this time, maybe next time, but yeah, dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a great time. I appreciate it. Can I, can I just get a follow up? What is your
0: favorite pizza? If oh, this my is a question you pizza? ask everybody, cause I, I'm, I mean, I can throw down with the pizza conversation cause there's also there's just other things that go into it. It's like, those are my favorite actual pizzas, but then there's like pizza experiences, you know?
1: Yeah. So there I, I'm in, I'm in the Portland, Oregon area. And a lot of people don't know that we actually have really good. Portland's known for their food, but they're not necessarily known for their pizza specifically. And we do have some legit spots. Is Um, that the uh, hold up? What's is that the like a pizza shoal? What's that place called? Yeah, that's that's one of them. That's one of them. That one's pretty good. I'm a fan of that place, but it's not my that's near. No, yeah that was just next to a place that I was staying at
0: last time I was on tour. I don't remember if it was that or like, what was the place called? I don't know. Go on. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, um, I, I, I actually know a lot of these other places, but I sound neurotic because people, I I actually know like hundreds of restaurants around the world that I've eaten at. And if, Sometimes my memory just goes into overload and I can remember everything, uh, photographic things. So tell
1: me what you think is the best. So in, in, I mean, I love New York style pizza. The listeners know that I'm a big fan. But yeah. recently we had a New Haven style place open up here in Portland. called, And it's, yeah. it's, it's really new. I don't even know if they've ever been able to offer sit down service because of the pandemic. I think it's all been takeout thus far, but it's called Demos. Demo's Pizza okay. in, in Portland. And they, they, oh man, the crust, they just, they have it all. They have it all. It's, it's very New Haven inspired. I've never been to New Haven, but it is a, a bucket list yeah. item for me um, to eat at Frank Pepe's and some of the other places. But this place, Demo's, is, oh man. I mean, I drive, I, I drive 40 minutes to get it and then bring it home. And it would be oh. better if I could sit down and eat it fresh for sure. Um, but one day I'll be able to, but even still it's still worth the 40 minute trip to go get it. Cause I'm just outside of Portland. So I got to travel in to get it and then take it home. But it's yeah. uh, it's incredible. It's, it's so good. I'm, well, I'm probably going to get some this week. Actually. That sounds very, very delicious right now.
0: <laughs> okay. So what's let's, let's just go New York style pizza, New York itself. Mm -hmm. you know i have i have good memories with joe's kind of classic Uh, i love
1: joe's love joe's
0: lombardi's uh bleaker street for several reasons just you know not always just the best pizza in some of these places but but the vibe and just like memories like you know having a
1: great night in greenwich village and and you know
0: that sort of thing
1: Grimaldi's is my favorite okay, that yeah. I've had in that I've had in New York City. Although you know I've only been to New York City twice, so I haven't had every pizza in New York City. But Grimaldi's is my yeah. my number one for now. Yeah, I really like Grimaldi's.
0: Okay, now let's go Chicago, where typically people talk corporate Giordano's, Lou Mal's, Geno's East. I, you know, I. I it, there what's that bartolis or whatever the uh there's this other spot that we went to i can't comment Hi, on do you, chicago. Do you, i've never do you, been do you,
1: okay yeah do you mess with comment. chicago do you mess with deep dish at all so i i'm I, i'm of the opinion that chicago st- and i will when i go there i'm going to get down with some deep dish don't don't get me wrong okay but i'm i'm of the opinion that a Chicago deep dish is kind of like how a calzone isn't pizza. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. It's pizza-ish. It's a pizza cousin, but it's not pizza. I think yeah. I think that's how I feel about the Chicago style pizza. It's like it's it's a pizza related item that looks very tasty to me, but I would hesitate to say that if I'm craving a slice of pizza that that's what I'm going for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. So I've had some Chicago style deep dish in Portland. Um, I'm sure it's not quite the same thing. And 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 while it was good, none of it like just stuck in my memory.
0: Yeah. Uh, so so that's, what that's would that. be. Okay. So, yeah, you don't. I'm trying to think of where else. Yeah. Okay. So you, you don't really mess with Chicago. That's fine. That's I cool. want to go to I, Chicago. I'm, I'm with
1: you. I'm with you. I, I New York style is still New York style still a spot. Have you been to Peace in Chicago? I follow them on Instagram. It's Rick Nielsen's Pizza Place. No. It looks really good. No. And then I've heard that the tavern style pizza from Chicago, and that looks a little more my speed. Um, it's thinner, it's more traditional looking, usually cut into squares. There's a Chicago yeah. transplant in Portland uh, named Jerry. And during this crazy year, during this pandemic, he started making pizzas in his home kitchen that were reminiscent of his favorite tavern style pizzas. And it's, it's hilarious. It's like a speakeasy situation. You have to know about it. You have to follow him on social. And then you have to DM him to get on the waiting list for the pizza. He only makes a handful a day. And he... Currently has a 15 month waiting list that I'm on, <laughs> and I'm waiting to get Dude, some of this tight. guy's pizza. I, I love that he's been able to make that work. It's kind of hilarious and kind of awesome and very Portland in a lot of ways. That's tight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, pizza's great. I'm, I'm New York. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, I had to take the Chicago route since, you know, if if, it, if pizza's, you're probably going to get some people saying Lou I do.
1: yeah and josh from and that's fine. he still sticks by that
0: okay i mean they're yeah. good you know they're, they're good pizza but i and i and i can like i i can i can get down with a deep dish but i guess i like the way you said if i'm just thinking about i'm craving a piece of pizza it's not that's
1: not normally the first thing i think of no no not for me not for me well, hey, maybe we better wrap yeah. this up if we want to uh, try right. to squeeze in a little Patreon action if we can. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Corey. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for checking this episode out. Make sure you check out Corey's music and his podcast. It's a lot of fun. Wong Notes with uh, with Corey Wong. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. And you can get it wherever you listen to this show as well. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for all the time. Thanks for hanging out. And if you would like to help keep this thing going, help keep the lights on, and I really do mean that. Patrons are covering the electrical bill around these parts, and I really appreciate that a lot. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash tone and you'll get a sneak peek at my new album. American Cyclops is the artist's name, and the album will be called Tom Do you have anything sharp on you? And this week, that is the bonus that the patrons are getting. They're getting an early peek at that, and I'm really, really, really excited to hear what everyone has to say. But yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody that you can think of about the show. That's what keeps this thing going. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you,